Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Good afternoon. So here we are on day two of our Nyogen Senzaki session, or what much of the world refers to as Monday. At the session opening on Saturday evening, Shinge Hiroshi spoke about the exhausted cries of the geese after their treacherous journey home to Mount Bodhisattva and reminded us that we too have made this journey here. And she strongly urged us to abandon any thought of self or other. How is that going so far? It's not always easy to do. Our patterns of habitual thinking can become deeply ingrained, leading us away from this no self, no other true reality. In the Dhammapada, which I think most of us are somewhat familiar, and if you're not, uh, this is a very wonderful translation by Eknath Eswaran. In the very first chapter, the section Twin Verses, the Buddha says, All that we are is a result of what we have thought. We are formed and molded by our thoughts. Those whose minds are shaped by selfish thoughts cause misery when they speak or act. Sorrow rolls over them, rolls over them as the wheels of a cart roll over the tracks of the bullock that draws it. All that we are is the result of what we have thought. We are formed and molded by our thoughts. Those whose minds are shaped by selfless thoughts give joy whenever they speak or act. Joy follows them like a shadow that never leaves them. These words are so key to this practice. And reading this, I'm, I'm reminded of a, a poem by um, W.S. Merwin, which um, I think many of us know of Merwin. He, is a, uh, he died in March at the age of 91. He was a... Um, 
a long time um, Zen Buddhist practitioner and a, uh, a fierce advocate of the earth. And this is a poem called Turning. Going too fast for myself, I missed more than I think I can remember. Almost everything, it seems, sometimes. And yet, there are chances that come back where I could have reached out and touched them. This morning, the black Belgian shepherd dog, still young, looking up, saying, Are you ready this time? When we go to the, to the, the, the cushion, do we sit down and say, are we ready this time? And these chances that come back that Merwin speaks of, what is he referring to? Perhaps it's a, the chance to be awake in the present moment, which is a, a real paradox, because where else do you find the chance to be awake in the present moment but in the present moment? We could call it the present chance. This very place is the lotus land of purity. This very body is the body of the Buddha, Hakuin tells us. One of the things I love about Merwin's poems is their koan-like quality. All of them have this quality, pretty much. I'll read this poem again. Turning. Going too fast for myself, more, I miss more than I think I can remember. Almost everything, it seems, sometimes. And yet, there are chances that come back that I did not notice when they stood where I could have reached out and touched them. This morning, the black Belgian shepherd dog, still young, looking up, saying, Are you ready this time? How many times are we going too fast for ourselves that we miss more than we think we can remember? Meal bowls, anyone? Even the title, Turning. What is turning? Is it the speaker's attention turning to the dog who wants to go out and pee? Or is it the dog turning around and around, saying, I want to play? Or is it the, the speaker chasing his tail, turning around and around? And could Merwin be referring to the Buddha turning a flower? Or maybe the old man who begs Yakujo for a turning word to release him from his 500 rebirths as a fox. All of the, almost all of the koans that we work on in the Mumankan are, there's this quality of turning. It's not, if it's a turning or looking up or something, there's some movement that's happening. 
maybe Merwin is using it, this turning as a rhetorical, a poetic rhetorical device. In, in some poetry, there's, um, there's this shift in the narrative focus. In haiku, we call it uh, the pillow word, this word that rises up, that we, we hear it, but we've not heard it that way before, or it, or it represents something else. And uh, in waka, we call it the waka poetry, it's called uh, the pivot word. And in, um, in the sonnet, it's called um, the volta, or the turning word. And if you read um, almost every Shakespeare sonnet, there's this quality of, of um, seeing somewhat into this reality that self and other doesn't exist, or something happens in these sonnets. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of Sonnet 29, which I, I think is pretty well known, but um, if I can remember it. When in disgrace with fortune and men's eyes, I, all alone, beweep my outcast state, and trouble deaf heaven with my bootless cries, and look upon myself and curse my fate, wishing me to like one more rich in hope, featured like him, like him with friends possessed, desiring this man's art and that man's scope with what I most enjoy contented least, yet in these thoughts myself almost despising, haply I think on thee and then my state like to the lark at break of day, arising from sullen earth, sings hymns at heaven's gates. For thy sweet love remembered, such wealth brings, that then I scorn to change my state with kings. And this from the Dhammapada. Those who are selfish suffer here and there. They suffer wherever they go. They suffer and fret over the damage they have done. But those who are selfless rejoice here and there. They rejoice wherever they go. They rejoice and, and, and delight in the good they have done. This rejoicing, it's, it's like in, in Shakespeare's, in that sonnet, there's um, the ultimate rejoicing to, to go from, there's this misery and yet you rise and you sing hymns at heaven's gates. It doesn't get more rejoicing than that. Both um, Merwin and Shakespeare are reminding us to stop, 
to listen and to be present and to recognize the interconnectedness of all beings. Every time we sit down, every time we chant the three refuges, the four great vows, every time we reflect on the five skandhas or the six perfections or the eightfold path, every time we eat, walk, lay down, get up, there arises this opportunity to be fully present, to connect, to interbe, as Thich Nhat Hanh says. And yet there are chances that come back that I did not notice where they stood, where I could have reached out and touched them. These Zen forms we practice draw us back to the present moment. Some of us may be relatively new to practice. Maybe this is your first session and everything seems overwhelming. But that's okay. Just breathe. Take it easy. It will come to you. All of us have been in the exact same place you are. And some of us may have done this thousands and thousands of times, and then we realize we're on autopilot. And our minds are off somewhere else. That's that chance to come back without judgment to the present moment. In his introduction to Hakuin on Kensho, Albert Lowe says, Awakening is not an experience. It is a change in the way we experience. When the Buddha sat down and vowed not to get up until he was awakened, when he saw the morning star, it wasn't that he never saw that star before. He just never saw it in that way. I remember one time I was working really hard on some koan. I can't remember which one. And um, I was home and I was asleep in bed, it was the middle of the night, and I had this dream, and someone was punching me in the face. But the someone that was punching me was me, and he was using my own hand, like my brothers used to do when I was a kid. Why are you, why are you hurting yourself? Why are you hurting yourself? And in my dream, I'm thinking, oh, stop, stop. I'm saying, stop, stop, and this other me is saying, what, what? I can't hear you, what, what? And he's punching me and punching me and finally goes, louder, louder. And in the middle of, while still asleep, I shout full voice, then stop doing it. And my partner, Mark, wakes up and goes, what? What's the matter? What's happened? And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just working on a koan. (laughs) And then he shouts really full voice, what happened to Moo? (laughs) And both of us just laughed hysterically. It was so funny, this, this membrane between sleeping and waking just 
burst open and there was nothing to do but laugh about it. It was hysterical. Going from anguished cries to uproarious laughter. And the only thing that changed was the thought. Dogen says, when you ride in a boat and watch the shore, you might assume that the shore is moving. But when you keep your eyes closely on the boat, you can see that the boat moves. Similarly, if you examine myriad things with a confused mind and body, you might suppose that your mind and essence are permanent. When you practice intimately and return to where you are, it will be clear that nothing at all has an unchanging self. This is another poem by W.S. Merwin. Term. At the last minute, a word is waiting, not heard that way before, and not to be repeated or ever be remembered. One that always had been a household word, used in speaking of the ordinary, everyday recurrences of living. Not newly chosen or long considered, or a matter for comment afterward. Who would ever have thought it was the only one saying itself from the beginning through all its uses and circumstances to utter at last that meaning of its own for which it had long been the only word, though it seems now that any word would do. The poet monk Ryokan asks, why do you so earnestly seek the truth in distant places? Look for delusion and truth in the bottom of your own heart. In the midst of every thought, every action, there exists this opportunity to turn from the unskillful to the skillful. My father was an expert as, at this. I can still see him coming down the stairs from the bedroom. He'd say, okay, I'm dressed, let's go. And my mother would look up and say, oh no, not those shoes. And he'd turn around, go back upstairs, put on different shoes, no argument. He knew who was the boss. I have had the great good fortune to have been born to wonderful, loving parents. In March um, marked the uh, 10th anniversary of my mother's death. And this Sunday, Mother's Day, would have been her 98th birthday. I'd like to 
end with a, a, a poem for her and in honor of all mothers, past, present, and future. This is by Lee Young Lee. He was born in 1957 in Jakarta, Indonesia, to Chinese parents. I ask my mother to sing. She begins, and my grandmother joins her. Mother and daughter sing like young girls. If my father were alive, he would play his accordion and sway like a boat. I've never been in Peking or the Summer Palace, nor stood on the great stone bridge to watch the rain begin on Quinming Lake, the picnickers running away in the grass. But I love to hear it sung, how the water lilies fill with rain until they overturn, spilling water into water, then roll back and fill with more. Both women have begun to cry, but neither stops her song. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.